This podcast is from Christian Chapel in Tulsa, Oklahoma. For more information, visit us online at christianchapel.com. Today is the next to last message in our summer series where we've walked through the book of Philippians. Uh, I hope you've enjoyed it as much as I have. Um, Even if you've only enjoyed it half as much as I have, you've still enjoyed it a lot because I've loved it. And uh, Philippians is a letter that the Apostle Paul writes. It's his most encouraging letter. He writes to a church that he planted just to basically say, hey, good job. Um, You're doing a great job following Jesus. Keep it up. Keep moving forward. He's not correcting beliefs or behaviors or addressing problems. He is simply encouraging them and saying, I love you guys. Keep getting after it. And so our hope this summer has been to hear those same messages as God's message to us. If I see you where you are as as an individual, I see where you are as a church and just keep moving forward on the path that Jesus is laying out for you. One of the things that God spoke to me as we got about a quarter of the way into this series was if we were going to spend a lot of time seeing how Paul encouraged the church in Philippi, then uh, for me as a pastor, I needed to do a good job of encouraging this local congregation where God has placed me. And so each week I've shared some different encouragements, things I've observed, things others have shared with me. Um, This week I want to encourage you and thank you for your incredible generosity, your incredible faithfulness to the Lord. We see it in all kinds of ways. Uh, We see your generosity in the the way that you serve. You give your time, your energy, your talent. I see your generosity when I hear stories of something was broken at somebody's house or with their car. Somebody else came over to fix it. Somebody had an issue with a child. Somebody else jumped in to help them. And one of the ways that that we really see your generosity and your faithfulness is through um, your giving at Christian Chapel. Your generous and joyful giving. Now, Now, don't get nervous. We're not taking a special offering this morning, right? It isn't one of those like where you talk your kids up before you go into Target about how good and wonderful and awesome they are in hopes that they won't embarrass you. Uh, but just a, just a legitimate, I am, I am blown away by the generosity and faithfulness of people at Christian Chapel. Um, through your Kingdom Builders giving, you are making such a, a massive difference. We'll give away uh, close to $350,000 this year through our Kingdom Builders Fund. That's going to support missionaries working all over the world. It's going to support local ministries here in our community. It's going to support some next-generation investments. But I know sometimes that can feel kind of generic. So just very specifically, um, this past week, your Kingdom Builders giving helped Shane and Chelsea Blodorn, two of our missionaries, train uh, about 30 pastors in Zambia. And so because of your faithful support of Shane and Chelsea, and and there are 49 other missionaries and ministries doing similar things to what they're doing, but this week in Zambia, there were 30 pastors who came together, they were trained, they were encouraged, they were told the, the message of Philippians. We believe in you, God has called you, keep moving forward, here's some tools and resources to make that happen. And so people you will never know in places you will never go are being encouraged, are being changed by the gospel. And and each of those 30 pastors, they represent a group of 100 or maybe several hundred other believers. Your impact goes so much farther when you know. So when you're making that Kingdom Builders gift, I want you to know it's making a really big difference. Tonight at our Royal Family Pie Auction, when you are buying my daughter's pie for more than any of the other pies, um, you are just, I mean, it, it'll change your life. It's, it's a peanut butter thing that Angie's, great, gra- Angie's grandma made. So, like, you're insulting our family if you don't. Not my family, because some of you would be fine with that, but Angie's family, and she's sweet and kind. So, but, but anyways, that's beside the point. When you buy Audrey's pie or anybody else's not quite as good pie, uh, you are 
putting your money to work. And you're providing stories of hope in the lives of kids through our mentoring club, through a free week of camp for kids in foster care. Your gifts always are attached to stories. We don't just give generically to people we don't know, programs that we're not a part of. Our gifts are always tied to relationships. And in those relationships, we get to see how it works out. So I just want to say thank you for giving so generously. Thank you for giving so faithfully. And just keep doing it because your gifts are making a difference in our community and all over the world. So thank you so much for that. This morning, we're going to be in Philippians chapter 4. I'm just looking at, at two quick verses, chapter 4, verses 8 and 9. And we're going to see Paul talks to us about how when we focus on the right things, when we follow the right people, and when we do the right things, it's a sign that we have experienced and we are experiencing the peace of God in our lives. Now, how many of you... Um, when you, first of all, do I have any farmers or anybody who grew up on a farm, had a grandpa that was a farmer, anybody like that? Okay. So now next question, how many of you have ever driven a tractor? For, for the record, because we're in, in town, a riding lawnmower is not a tractor. Okay. How many of you have ever driven a tractor that had tires bigger than you? Okay, there we go. You count completely. So uh, my grandpa grew up or, or had a farm out in western Oklahoma. My dad grew up on it, so when I was growing up, we would go out there all the time. My grandpa had 16 grandkids, and he was determined that every grandkid would know how to drive a stick shift, and every grandkid would know how to drive a tractor, uh, which, you know, those are two skills that are now completely useless in my life, but I can say... I know how to do it, and I can at least get a sermon illustration out of it. So, um, but one of the things he would teach us is he would take us out, and, and sometimes he'd have the, the plow hooked up behind the tractor. And I guess because he was a glutton for punishment and loved to plow the same field twice, he would tell his 10-year-old grandkids, come sit in my lap, you're going to plow this row. And so inevitably what would happen is we would sit up there and we're steering and we're looking back at the plow to see where we're going. And just like you, when you drive down the highway, as we would look over our right shoulder, the steering wheel would go to the right and we would start to swerve. And so we'd look up and we'd way overcorrect and we'd swerve all the way back. And then we would lock in on the front wheel and just kind of look over it and, and you'd be back and forth. And you could get to the end of the row and you had just kind of made this giant S through his field, right? And, and my grandpa was so kind, and he would let us screw up so that he could prove his point to us. And so then we, we would get turned back around, and he'd say, okay, now this time, you're still going to have to look back and check the plow every now and then. You're still going to have to watch in front of you. But the most important thing, you need to pick a, a post, a fence post or a tree across the field that we're headed towards. And you just need to keep the nose of the tractor right on that post, and you'll, you'll plow a straight line. And so he would teach us, and, and sure enough, it would work every single time. And he was always trying to teach us this point of your focus determines your direction, which determines your destination. And so if you want to arrive at that spot and you want to get there in a straight line, you've got to keep a far-off view. And it was one of those things that as a 10-year-old boy, I thought only applied to plowing a field, which I never did. But as I got older and, and still am learning all the time that your focus determines your direction and your direction determines your destination. So if I want to get there, then I've got to kind of keep my eyes on it. I've got to keep going. And, and this is kind of what Paul's presenting to us here. He's saying, look, if you want to experience the peace of God, then you've got to make sure you're focusing on the right things. You've got to make sure you're following the right people on the right path and that you're doing the right things to get to that destination. And this is kind of what he's going to walk us through here in Philippians chapter 4. Again, it's verses 8 and 9. It'll be here on the screens if you don't have your Bible. 
Paul says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. So the the first thing I want us to, to look at here is this idea of we've got to focus on the right things. Paul tells us all of these things that are good, you have to think about such things. And, and that word think is, is deeper than what we might initially read. It's not just this idea of I'm going to let it pass through my mind in the same way that everything else does. But think means to dwell on, to consider, to take account of, right? It, it is to give serious consideration to anything that fits in these categories that he's given to us. Now, this is really important for us as followers of Jesus, because what Paul is saying is you have to focus on the right things if you want to get to the right place. The problem for us is if we are focused on the peace of God and we're focused on following him, we are bombarded by messages from our culture that are going to try to divert us because they're not peaceful, they're not good, they're not true, they're not lovely. And if we start to give our focus, our thinking, our attention to them, we're going to get off track. Right? I mean, we are just, you turn on the news, you get on social media, maybe you have certain relationships in your life, and you just know it's going to be all negative all the time. Because fear sells, because uncertainty sells, because this inspires conversations. And so there can be a temptation for Christians who should be the most joyful, hopeful, peaceful people in the world to begin to kind of adopt this, woe is me, the the world's going to hell, what are we going to do, there's no hope, we're just going to kind of insulate ourselves, we're going to build our walls, and we're going to try to keep everyone out. And our whole focus becomes preservation instead of the peace of God. Dr. Frank Thielman is a a professor and uh, theologian who wrote wrote some really interesting stuff about this passage in Philippians chapter 4. So it's it's a little bit longer, but I want to read it Uh, for you. It'll be on the screen here so you can read along with me. Uh, Thielman says, it is important to remember that the world, although fallen, belongs to God. In the face of dramatic social changes that threaten the peaceful existence of evangelical piety in our culture, many evangelical Christians in recent decades have adopted a pessimistic attitude toward the world around them, retreating into an anti-intellectual stance. Instead of viewing the natural world as God's creation and an appropriate object of investigation, evangelical Christians have sometimes focused solely on the supernatural. The result has been a wistful yearning for supposedly better days of a bygone era. In this passage, however, Paul asserts the need for believers to cast their intellectual nets widely to allow all that is true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, excellent, and praiseworthy, wherever it is found, to shape their thinking. And so, so he says it really, really well, much better than I ever could. If I had written that passage, it would have said, don't be a Debbie Downer Christian, right? Like you don't, you know, you, some of you, maybe you don't know what that phrase means. Anybody watch Winnie the Pooh growing up, maybe? All right, you remember Eeyore? Just, I don't know. This is the attitude. Like, God is saying, hey, I'm going to promise you peace. We're going to go for it. I don't know. 
My husband is not very fun to be around. I don't know. The news says that the Russians are going to kill us. I don't know. Like you, you just kind of got this, this wet blanket personality. Like anytime somebody comes, you're like, let me tell you about what's happened in my life. I got this great promotion. You're like, yeah, well, you're probably going to get laid off next year. They say a recession's coming. Right, and, and so there's just this, like, ooh, ooh, ooh. I mean, and, and you've been around those people. Now, so just a little warning, if you're thinking, I don't know anyone like that, you are that person, right? You're killing us all. You're like, we're avoiding you in the hallway, so please just stop, right? If you just think, nobody ever rains on my parade, it's because you are the thunderstorm. Like, you're, you've rained on everybody else's all the time. So just stop. What Paul is telling us here is, look, as Christians, now remember where Paul's writing from. He's writing from prison. He's writing Philippians while he sits in a cell and his future is uncertain. And yet he's telling them, look, even though the future might be uncertain, we're still going to rejoice. We're still going to focus on the good. We're still going to believe that God has plans for a better tomorrow. We're going to believe that no matter what is happening, he says, even if I'm poured out like a drink offering, even if I die, I believe God is going to accomplish great things through it. So what Paul is teaching us is as followers of Jesus, we can always focus on the good. We can maintain a positive outlook, not because we're denying our reality, but because we are choosing to see all of life through the lens of what Jesus has done, what he is doing, and what he will do. Our joy, our hope, our peace are not rooted in our circumstances. And so he's, he's just winding this up with the Philippians saying, hey, just in case you forgot, focus Give your attention to what is good, to what is right. And, it, and he kind of lists these things out. Now, we don't have time to, to dive into each one of these individually, so we're just going to kind of skim through them real quick. He says, in every situation, God can reveal to you what is true. Jesus is the standard for truth. In every situation, I can embrace the truth that God is at work, that he has a plan, and he's going to accomplish it. He says, focus on what is noble. Wherever you are today, God has an honorable path for you to walk, a way that brings uh, acclaim to him, brings fame to him, where you keep your integrity, where you live with his values, where you reflect his love. You can live in ways, you can celebrate things that are right. God deals in absolutes. Right? In, in every situation you face, there is a path that leads out of it that is a right, God-honoring way, and there is a path that leads out of it that is a wrong, God-dishonoring way. And so we can always celebrate the right. And, and what Paul's telling us here is don't just live these things, but you need to celebrate, embrace, and rejoice when you see them for other people. Now, now these ideas of truth and right, this can really easily get into to this idea of like everybody just embrace their own truth, everybody just do their own thing, and you got to be happy for me, and i got to be happy for you. It's not what Paul's telling us, right? Again, we read these two short verses in the larger context of Philippians, in the larger context of the gospel, where Jesus is always the absolute standard of truth. So what is true, what is right, what is noble, we're, we're evaluating these things through the lens of what Jesus has done. And yet there's also a recognition that for certain paths, there may be multiple right ways that God could lead somebody, right? So, so think if, if you're a parent and you're educating your children. Some of you, have, I mean, all of us hopefully have made this a, a subject of prayer and said, God, what do you want to do and how do you want to lead? And the, the right path that God has revealed to some of you is I want you to send your children to public school. And the right path that God has revealed to others of you is I want you to send your children to private school. 
And the right path that God has revealed to others is I want you to homeschool your children. Now, each one of those is the right path. And when me, as a follower of Jesus, when I decide I'm going to focus on what is good, it means I'm going to celebrate every space where somebody is asking God for direction, he's speaking to them, and they are following him in obedience, even if it's not the exact same thing he asked me to do. Right? And, and so I'm not going to say, well, my kids go to public school, and if you do anything else, you clearly don't have trust and faith in God. Right? I'm not going to do that because your kids are your kids. You raise them. You obey. You follow. Do what is right. When it comes to so many areas of life, there are multiple paths that God, God directs Christians on because he wants a beautifully diverse church. He doesn't want a church of everybody who looks the same, does the same, acts the same, works in the same spot. He's not trying to create a bubble. He's trying to expand his kingdom into all of the world. So anytime we see things that are right, we're going to embrace those. We're going to celebrate those. Then Paul says anything that is pure, reminding us that we don't have to cave in to the substandard behaviors and beliefs of the culture in which we live. We can always live in truth. We can walk with integrity. We can speak with compassion because God has purified our hearts. It's going to flow out in our language. It's going to flow out in our actions, into our relationships. He says, celebrate, think about what is lovely. There's beauty in every moment because God's creative, redemptive, powerful presence is always at work. It means when you are in the darkest hellhole, there are still going to be glimpses of beauty. And our job as followers of Jesus is to point them out and to celebrate them because it's, it's, it's obvious that God is here. And he says, whatever is admirable. In my lowest moments, I can live in ways that honor God. I can live in, in, in my best moments. I can walk in humility and deflect all the attention and all the claim to God. He says anything that is excellent or praiseworthy, there are going to be some incredible experiences in your life. You're going to see things that blow your mind. You're going to see the creativity of other people and just be astounded by what they can do. What Paul is telling us is in that space, we as Christians should stop and celebrate it. And what you have to notice is what Paul does not say here. He doesn't say, hey, whatever you notice in the world that is exclusively Christian and fits these categories, I want you to think about. But he says, no, 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 whatever. Whatever, whatever, whatever. He says it over and over and over again. He includes a, an anything in there, just in case we don't know what whatever means, to try to make it clear to us that God's power and presence is so prevalent in our world that we're going to find glimpses of his creative power, glimpses of his love and grace, even in the lives of people who do not know him, follow him, or want anything to do with him. And our job as Christians is to celebrate those things and to call them out because we're going to see everything that is true, that is right, that is noble, that is admirable, that is lovely. We are going to see all of these things as physical demonstrations of the grace of God that's been released in the world. And we can use them as bridges to help other people see the work of God in their world. And so what we're not going to do is we're not going to say, well, that music was great, but it didn't say Jesus once in the lyrics. So we've got to burn the CD. CD. Does anybody listen to CDs anymore? Can you tell I'm a child of the 90s where we went to youth camps and burned CDs? Like guys. If you don't know what that means, it was just as weird as it sounds. So, uh, but, but there's just this thought of like, well, that art is beautiful, but it's not Christian art. So should I hang it in my home? Right? Well, that book was wonderful, and I learned a lot from it, but there was no overt theology or discussion of God in it. Can I embrace that? 
And what Paul's telling us is, yes, absolutely, please do. Because part of experiencing God's peace is keeping your focus on all the good things he's doing in the world. And when you focus on the idea that God doesn't just display these things through his people, but his kindness, his generosity overflows even to those who've rejected him, then it fills your heart with peace of, man, if God's going to do that for people who don't want anything to do with him, how much more is he going to do that for me? And so we, we have to be intentional. Now, now, part of thinking about these things means that we're also talking about these things. It means that we're also involved in relationships where the good, the beautiful, the lovely, the excellent, the praiseworthy are, are regular things that we discuss. But for some of us, this can be hard because we feel like if I start pointing out all the good stuff all the time, and especially if I start talking about the good stuff that's happening in my life, I'm going to be like that, that braggy friend that nobody wants to be around. And so for, for a lot of us, we kind of have this problem in our relationships. For some of us, we never have authentic relationships because we won't talk about our lowest moments. We won't be open, honest, or vulnerable. Others of us, we won't have uh, really great relationships because we won't talk about our best moments, where God has really come through, where he's done some amazing things. But what, what we want as followers of Jesus is to be planted in a community where we have such authentic friendships and relationships that we can both celebrate the best moments and mourn the, lo the lowest moments and in all cases be pointed to the presence of Jesus in those situations. And so Paul starts to tell us, look, if you're having trouble focusing on the right things, part of that could be because you are following the wrong people. And so as you, you jump down here into verse 9, he tells us, Anything, whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me. Now, if, if you were here a couple weeks ago, we, we jumped in depth into why it's so important to mind your influences, to pay attention to the people you're following, the people that you're emulating, the people that you want to be like. But Paul comes back to it, so we're going to come back to it too. And specifically today, what it means for us is if you want to focus on the right things in your life, then you've got to be surrounded by people who are similarly focused and can show you this is what it looks like. So Paul tells the Philippians, this is what I want you to do. And then he follows it up by telling them anything you've seen from me, heard from me, just keep doing that. And it's, it's a really bold statement. It's the equivalent of what Paul says in one of his other letters where he says, follow me as I follow Christ. It's a statement of, I'm focused, I want you to be focused, I will show you what this looks like. And you and I have a similar need. You're not going to maintain your focus on the right things if you're following the wrong people. They're going to divert you from God's path. They're going to lead you astray. They're going to take you down. And, and so you might think, well, how do I do that then? How do I make sure that I have people in my life that are leading me on the path God has for me, that are making it easier for me to focus on the things he's calling me to focus on? Well, part of it is, is you plant yourself in a community like you are at Christian Chapel. But, but attending on a Sunday and sitting in a row is not enough. You've got to make some relational effort. You've got to be intentional to build these relationships. So that could be getting in a small group. It could be that you start serving uh, and, and getting connected that way. Because you don't just need to be surrounded with people who are just like you in the same stage as life. You need some people who've gone before you, right, who are telling you, hey, you've never been this way before, but I have. And I can help you stay focused. You need some people that are coming after you, that you feel some responsibility towards them of saying, hey, I, I know you haven't been this way before, but I have. Follow me. I didn't, and as we embrace these relationships, as we commit to not only focusing on the right thing, but having the right influences, following the right people, 
what we find is God uses our, our relationships to renew our focus. And we're constantly hearing messages from others of, you can do this, you can follow Jesus, you can trust him, he's going to be with you. I know you think life is, is just in ashes right now, but let me tell you about the lovely things that I see God is doing in your life. You feel like you're all alone, but let me tell you the truth about who Jesus is. Right? And in these situations, it really does start to help us. But they don't occur by accident. And so it can be easy to sit in a Sunday morning and think, that's what I want. But then you don't actually do anything to start the relationship. I've got some, some buddies in my life that help me focus on the good things that God is doing. Right? And, and, and they're encouraging to me. Two of them especially are, are friends that I went to college with. So that relationship is 18 years old now. Right? It's, it's been going a while. And we met as 18-year-olds in college, and we've developed friendships and maintained that over the years through marriages, through kids. They both pastor in other parts of the country. But we, we kind of have this deal of, like, we can always call each other, and we can talk about the absolute worst things that are happening. But we can also call each other and tell about the absolute best things that are happening. And there's never a competition between us. There's never a worry of like, man, if, if I tell Nick or if I tell the other guy's name is Chris, if I tell Chris about this awesome stuff that's going on in my life, are they going to think I'm trying to rub their face in it? There's no worries. Because I know they're committed to this path with me. They're committed not only to helping me deal with the hard moments, but focus on the really, really good things that life is doing. A couple years ago, I was, I was talking with one of them after Easter. Now, again, we're all pastors, right? So after Easter, this is, this is like the moment, hopefully, to call a pastor. It's as good as it's ever been, uh, the Monday after Easter. Like, hey, everybody who says they go to church here came to church here. And there were some others, and it was awesome, right? And I met somebody who was a member that I'd never met before, but they go here. So, you know, it's just, it's just Easter's a fun day for us. And so I'm talking to, to my friend Nick, and uh, he came a couple weeks ago. He's from Pittsburgh. He, was, he spoke for us and said, Nick, tell me how Easter went. And Nick was being pastor humble, right? He was, uh, and what I mean by that is so, like, if you're a pastor and you go to conferences or other events like that, the, the question everybody wants to know is how big is your church? Because we're all, we're all comparing ourselves to each other. Like, oh, 300? I'm a little better than him. Oh, 800? Oh, man. 800, that guy, really? Like, God works through anyone, you know? And, and so this is just, this, not me, but some of my friends have told me that's the things they think when they go to those. Uh, but so, I, so I'm talking to Nick. I'm like, how was Easter? And he's like, man, it was, it was really good. I'm like, Nick, how was Easter? It was, it was really, really good. Nick, we're friends. Tell me. Like, say the things you want to announce when you walk in your pastor meeting, but you know it is not appropriate. And he's like, we had a thousand people. A thousand people showed up. A thousand people, right? And it's just this great, right? Because that's excellent. That is worthy of praise. Because here's what it is. It's a sign that God is at work in that community in Irwin, Pennsylvania. Because it's a sign that he is calling men and women to himself. Because Nick himself would tell you it's a sign that God can do exceedingly abundantly more than we could ever ask or dream or hope or imagine. Nick would tell you God has taken this little thing and he's blown it up in ways I could never imagine. And yet we can't always feel comfortable telling everyone all of our best stories and all of our best successes. But you've got to tell someone. There's got to be someone in your life. And, and just let me push you a little farther. Your mom and dad don't count. Right? 
Because I, I can always call my mom and dad and tell them, like, this is awesome. Guess what happened? They're like, it is. It's because you're awesome. It's because you're wonderful. And I'm like, okay. Uh, you know, my dad still thinks I can shoot like Steph Curry. So he is delusional, and I need a slightly more objective. But we need these friendships. We need these relationships. And we don't just need people who will celebrate the super spiritual stuff. Sometimes you need people who are just going to celebrate the mundane, ordinary things in your life that you can call and say, hey, can I, can I just tell you, man, my wife is awesome. Hey, can I tell you, my husband got a promotion. Hey, can I tell you, my kids have made the honor roll every year they've been in school. Can I tell you, I want to say this to most people, but I think he will actually be the next president, right? Like you, you just need, you need that safe space in life because... We are so tempted to focus on the negative. We are so tempted to focus on what we don't have. We need some people in our lives that are not just going to say, hey, follow me through a formal discipleship process, but people who say, hey, just follow me, and I'm going to teach you about a life of joy. I'm going to teach you about a life of rejoicing. I'm going to teach you how to verbalize the good things that God is doing. I'm not going to come back to you and say, stop bragging. That's unbecoming. I'm just going to celebrate with you. Like I've got a, a buddy in town that I met three or four years ago, and we, we, our whole relationship is built around basketball. And I love to talk about basketball with him. And, and I love to uh, go to lunch. And, and it's just ridiculous conversations. And, and, but it's all basketball-centered. But, but what he's become for me is he's the friend. I can be sitting at any one of my kids' games, and I know I can text him. And I don't have to worry about being that parent. Right, because I've got I, I understand realistic expectations for athletics and I know where they fit and all those kind of things. But at the same time, I'm a dad. And man, sometimes when you see your kid hit five threes and a half, you just gotta tell somebody. Right? And so so I'll text Coach King and just be like, man, Connor is lighting these fools up. Like they've never seen anything like this. Right, I'll text him sometimes, so I'm like, Corbin just blocked this kid's shot, and I think he took his soul with it. Like he just destroyed him. Right, Audrey is out here killing these girls. She elbowed somebody in the mouth. She stopped another girl on the foot, and then she got the layup, and I loved every second of it. And the reason I text him and not some of you is because some of you already are like, well, well, I don't know what that means, right? So you're not going to be helpful to me. Or two, you need to calm down. Uh, but I know, with, with, I know with my buddy, I'm getting back an all-caps response with like 20 exclamation points on the end of it. And it's just, that's awesome, that's incredible, I wish it was there, take a video, send it to me. Right? We need people in our lives who are positive, who are encouraging, who are affirming the good things that God does in our life. But they can't do it if we won't tell them. And so kind of the, the underlying thought here is what you're going to focus on, you're also going to talk about, you're going to speak about. And so everywhere you see these things, it's not enough to just see it and consider it. You've also got to share it. You've also got to start telling others about it. And you've got to serve that role for someone else. Right? Who, who is it that can call you and they know, man, every time I talk, I'm going to get encouragement. I'm going to get affirmation. Who can I call and share the biggest wins in my life? And I know there's not going to be any jealousy. There's only going to be celebration. And the same way we need that for ourselves, we also need to be that for someone else. So Paul's telling us you've got to focus on the right things. You've got to follow the right people. And then the last thing he tells us is you've got to do the right things. He says, just put it into practice. If you want to experience the peace of God in your life, 
It's not enough to think about them. It's not enough to talk about them. It's not enough to have the right role models. At some point, your intentions have to inform your actions. And you have to decide, I know this is true. I know this is right. I know this is admirable. I know this is excellent. I know this is praiseworthy. So I'm going to do things that meet that criteria. And, And we've all met people, and sometimes we've been the person, that our actions do not line up with what we say are the core beliefs of our heart. And you, you've met the spouse who will tell you, I would give my life for my spouse. And yet their, their marriage is hard and difficult because they're selfish and they're withholding. Or you, you've talked to the parent who says, man, I, I love my kid more than anything. And, and yet, for some reason, there's been some abandonment or an abuse or neglect. And their actions don't match up with their heart. You've met the person who says, hey, I, I love my company. I'm a hard worker. I'm an honest employee. And yet, and yet they're kind of stealing some things from their employer. They're not giving their best efforts. And, and there's just this moment of like, it just doesn't, it doesn't match. If we are going to focus on what is true, what is right, what is pure, what is noble, what is admirable, what is excellent, what is praiseworthy, then our actions have to reflect that. The way that we work, the way that we love, the way that we create, the way that we celebrate, all of these things flow out of hearts that are focused on Jesus, focused on his his direction, his leading, his guiding in our life, focused on his power and his presence, and recognizing it's not just an internal relationship, but it's supposed to affect everything outside of me. I've got to do the things that Jesus is calling me to do. And then Paul says, when you do these things, When you focus on the right things, when you follow the right people, when you do the right things, you're going to experience the peace of God. It says, and the peace of God will be with you. Now, there is a a little temptation for us here that I want to make sure we avoid. If if you leave today hearing me say, if you want to experience the peace of God, you've got to do these three things, right? That, okay, if I focus on the right things, if I follow the right people, if I do the right, right things, then I have fulfilled my part of the equation, and now God has to give me his peace. But again, it's where we're, we're just looking at this short little passage this morning, but it's contained in this much larger letter. And throughout the letter, what Paul has told us is Jesus Christ is the peace of God. Jesus Christ is the empowering presence in your life that connects you to God, that enables you to even be able to see the things you should be focusing on. Jesus is the one who brings the right people into your life that you can follow after. Jesus is the one who gives you his Holy Spirit, who gives you both the desire and the ability to do the right things. And so it's not that we're kind of working through this process, hoping to arrive at God's peace. But because I have God's peace, I can now focus on the right things. Because I have God's peace, because Jesus is with me, I can follow the right people. Because I have God's peace, because the Holy Spirit leads me, guides me, empowers me, strengthens me, I can do the right things. And as I experience God's peace, and then I focus in the right place, and I follow the right people, and I do the right things, what I find at the end is I'm experiencing more of God's peace. And then I'm going to focus, and I'm going to follow, and I'm going to do, and it just creates this endless cycle of reinforcement. But Jesus is the initiator of that cycle. Jesus is the sustainer of that cycle. Don't leave today with a religious dedication to do three things better because you'll make it to Tuesday and it'll all fall apart again. But the the first thing we always do is we want to surrender to Jesus. And so if you're here this morning and you lack peace in your life, I want to give you four reasons that, that maybe that is. The first reason, if you lack peace, is I'm not following Jesus. 
If you're not following Jesus, you're not going to have real and lasting peace. Paul tells us that Jesus himself is our peace. He's torn down the wall of hostility that sin creates between us and God. And so if you wanna walk in peace, you have to walk with Jesus. So for some of us today, our experience of peace is going to begin with a prayer of repentance and saying, Jesus, just come and and save me. Come and forgive me. Come and enable me to walk with you. The, The second reason some of us lack peace is we're focusing on the wrong things. We're just giving our time, our attention, our, our dedication to things that are, are not building up our hearts, that are not pointing us to God's activity in the world. And so what the Spirit is saying to you today is, hey, you've got to change your focus. You've got to change what you dwell on. You've got to change what you think about. You've got to change what you talk about. Some of us, there's no peace because we're following the wrong people. You are allowing the wrong influences. You're modeling your lives after people who will actively lead you away from Jesus. And in his grace, Jesus will not let you find peace on that path. He's gonna keep you miserable. He's gonna keep you uncomfortable until you come to the realization of that's not where I wanna go, this is. And some of us, we don't have peace because we're, we're doing the wrong things. We're just engaged in behaviors and attitudes. We've adopted lifestyles that, that we know are not pleasing to the Lord. And yet we keep hoping somehow that we can keep our sin and have peace keep hoping that I can embrace selfishness and find the life of the Spirit. And what God is saying to us today is that there is only peace in Jesus, and Jesus is an all-or-nothing kind of God. It is a, it's a matter of absolute surrender. So if you have never said yes to him, today can be the day you do that. If you're, if you're focused on the wrong things, following the wrong people, doing the, right th- doing the wrong things, today's the day you can let those go, and it's replaced with his peace. If you'll stand with me, I want to pray for us. Give us a chance to respond to what God is saying. We bow your heads and close your eyes. If you're here this morning in, in one of those four things, I need to follow Jesus. I need to stop focusing on the wrong things. I need to stop following the wrong people. I need to stop doing the wrong things. Any one of those four, if those are you this morning, will you raise your hand so I can pray with you where you are? Thank you. Thank you. Lord, you see us. You see the the exact response. You see the situation in our lives. And I thank you that your spirit is speaking. You're leading. You're drawing us to yourself. Lord, I pray for each person today, but especially for those who are making a decision to follow you, surrendering their lives to you. Today, Lord, may you bring peace and hope and joy as they have never known to their heart and to their mind. As they take their identity as your sons and your daughters, may peace flood through them like a river. Jesus, I pray for others who are responding. They're following the wrong people. They're focusing on the wrong things. They're doing the wrong things. Will you come today, Lord, and bring peace? Give the ability to see, to discern, and to take the right course of action, to get from where they are onto the path you're laying out before them. Jesus, we thank you that you have good plans that you make them abundantly clear to us. So we ask now that your Holy Spirit would come and speak personally and powerfully. In Jesus' name, amen. uh, Some of our pastors and prayer team are gonna head out the back doors and to the left to the prayer room. If you are uh, responded to those prayers or you didn't, but you know you should have, we would love to pray with you personally about the specific situations in your life. You can head out the back doors to the left. They'll be there to pray with you. The rest of us, we're gonna sing this final song as just a declaration that we always have hope because Jesus always has victory.
Father, we thank you for your presence in this place today. God, we thank you that you give us peace in every situation, God, that you give us, you give us victory, God, over every situation that we bring to you, Lord. God, thank you for your faithfulness. It transcends our understanding. We don't understand it. We don't deserve it every time. But we know that you are good, and we trust you this morning. to me. 
good God, a God who cares for us, who fights battles for us. This morning, Lord, our eyes are turned towards you. God, not towards the things that often distract us, that drag us down, that tempt us, but Lord, our eyes are fixed on Jesus. Lord, as we turn our hearts, as we turn our minds toward you, God, we know that you're leading us to a path of peace. So, Lord, we receive that this morning. We surrender ourselves fully to you. We invite you to come, Lord, to direct us in every way so that we might have peace, God, that our hearts and our minds would not be dragged down with the things that surround us, but, God, that our minds, our hearts, our focus would be directed towards you, that we might receive your peace this morning. God, we thank you that you bring that by your powerful spirit who is at work in us today. We thank you for your presence that is with us. We love you, Lord. Thank you for your work in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. As you go this morning, may you go in the grace and in the peace of God. Thanks for worshiping with us today. We'll see you again next Sunday and again tonight for the picnic. this podcast from Christian Chapel. For more information, visit us online at christianchapel.com.